Since 1965, the ACEC Life Health Trust has provided innovative health care benefits and services to ACEC member firms. We offer a variety of benefits to meet the unique needs of your firm, including fully insured, level funded, stop loss, and ancillary products. Visit our website at aceclifehealthtrust.com to learn more about our affordable employee benefit options for ACEC member firms, backed by the financial strength of the ACEC Life Health Trust. Welcome to the Engineering Influence Podcast from the American Council of Engineering Companies. And recently, the ACEC Research Institute released the findings of its new study on qualifications-based selection. And this study is featured up online at a website. The website is uh, program.acec.org forward slash qbs.resources.portal. It's a resource portal where you can find the study. You can find some uh, supplemental material to the study. And we really want to dig into that in today's episode. And to do so, I have two of the researchers who produced uh, the study for the Institute. Very pleased to be welcomed to the program. Gordon Kingsley, he is with Georgia Tech. And Paul Chanowski with University of Colorado at Boulder. Thank you both for joining us today. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you, Jeff. So this is a, this, I, you know, I worked with Daphne on, on kind of the, the, not the inception of the study. I think this is something that we've been looking at doing for a while and then it started getting kicked off and, and developed. So I kind of came in close to the, the, the drafts being done, but you know, how important in your personal experience researching this and, and, and studying this, is it to have a piece of research like this that kind of quantifies the actual benefits of qualifications-based selection, um, you know, for not just engineers, but the people in charge of procurement. Um, you know, Gordon, let's start with you and then kick it off to Paul. Well, sure. So, uh, Jeff, this is an area where there's been so much experimentation by governments across the United States trying to figure out what's the right balance in terms of their contracting practices. Uh, mm-hmm. And so over over the last uh 20 to 30 years, we've just seen a, a great deal of, of trial and error by governments. And so in that process, though, there's been this commitment through the Brooks Act to qualification-based contracting. And, yeah. and that's a longstanding commitment in the United States. And it's been an important one because it injects into our procurement process a focus on quality and making sure that those levels of expertise are brought into the the decision making by public sector actors. And so that's a that's a, a really important component of this. And while governments are experimenting, they can't lose sight of this important uh, policy objective that has been longstanding in the United States. Mm-hmm. And Paul? Yeah. And I guess going to your question about why is it important to have this is, as Gordon said, there's been a lot of experimentation with a lot of different types of procurement. And most of what we have is anecdotal. People yeah. talking about, hey, I've experienced this, which is fine to an extent, but you get a lot of misperceptions that quickly 
can grow and extend across a network of people. And what this, why you need this research is to be able to put into real facts, real numbers at people's fingertips, here's the real story. And that's the key is we're now giving the real story to get rid of a lot of the misperceptions that have been out there. And now people have something they can look at and say, this is why we're making this decision. And you do have some actual, you know, statistical proofs here. I mean, you you go and you do the 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 whole analysis, and it's not just anecdotal, but you can come out and you can say with certainty a couple of things. And and I think the key findings for the report really kind of boil down to around five specific benefits. Uh, the you know really the first being. Um, the fact that QBS does save money on projects, uh, which is something that was demonstrated through the research, um, that that you know you have this kind of perception that maybe QBS uh, the, the the focus on qualifications results in higher design fees, uh, but that's actually proven to be incorrect. Um, in your research, how did you see the breakdown in cost savings between QBS projects and non-QBS projects? Yeah, that was that's a great question, Jeff. So there is this huge misperception out there that if you're going to do QBS, it's going to cost you money and you're going to be behind before you ever start the project. And the reality is that overall, QBS results in projects having much less cost growth than other projects. Just on average, projects will run about 11, 10 to 11% over their initial uh, cost estimates. That's if you took on average projects. Uh, ACE, QBS projects run about 50% or more less than that. So if you think about that, that's a huge number. You are saving over other types of projects 50% in terms of what the final potential growth in. And why do we talk about cost growth? I think that's another important thing. The vast majority of projects, when you look out over time, come out slightly higher or much higher than the initial cost estimate. Why? Because you have everything from unforeseen site conditions to change Mm -hmm. orders. You have a lot of different reasons. So you focus on cost growth, which is really dependent on how good was your design to start with? How good were your drawings? How good was your analysis? How much information did you take? And the fact is, when you look across projects, projects that use QBS do significantly better, 50% better than other types of projects. And that's a significant number. And let me just say, why why does that happen? People are probably saying, that's great. Why is why why is this happening? Mm-hmm. And it really comes down to teams that are selected using QBS produce better drawings, better plans, which enables uh, construction to go better. They look at more options. They overall are producing better designs that are ready to be constructed. Yeah, you found that that past performance and proficiency uh, have found to uh, lead to higher quality design documents at lower overall fees. 
that teams that are teams that have been doing this work teams that have that book of uh, uh, proven design business um, you know, and have that, have that skill and the qualifications can generally lower the project cost at the beginning. Um, you know, Gordon, um, one of the things that I like about the study is the fact that you do look back and you do kind of a, of a, of a, a comparison of other research and literature out there. And, and, you, you know, you look at some studies that have been done. I mean, what else, what else kind of comes to mind when you're looking at the, the issue of cost savings for, for the end client? So there's there's a couple of issues here. One is that um, we we have to put this in a context where when we start looking at the procurement process, oftentimes for particularly for local governments, uh, when they look at QBS, it looks like as Paul was saying that it's costly that there's up upfront yeah. costs that they have to take on, and uh, and so they'll be tempted uh, by other types of contracting vehicles, largely because their human capital uh, that there's, is operating at that local level is, is going to find itself fearful of their capacity to make judgments on the expertise that, uh, that engineering design firms can, can bring to bear. And so, mm-hmm. so when we look at this there's a, and we look at other studies, there's a real challenge in trying to get an apples-to-apples comparison across these things. Uh, but it also, there's a real challenge in trying to understand what's the context of these, uh, of particularly of local government uh, procurement officers and the types of decisions that they're faced with. And so mm-hmm. that's a, that's a, a, a real uh, challenge that we bring to, to light in this study is trying to understand, well, what, what are those concerns and those fears when it comes to uh, taking on a, a QBS process? Uh, we've seen probably the local governments are where there's been the biggest drop in uh, engaging with QBS, uh, but uh, it, they also pay a price for that. And as Paul was just pointing out, they pay a price over the long-term costs. And they also pay a price in terms of the, their, their capacity for innovation. Yeah. And so we have yeah. to keep this in mind that there's a lot of, you know, th- there's a lot of areas of procurement where low bid, low cost types of approaches are perfectly appropriate. But for when you're really making a major capital investment, uh, there's there's some real red flags that come up that that need to be considered. And and I think your your point that you raise about uh, local, especially local government procurement agencies, is is something interesting because uh, one of the end you know uh, users of this study, we hope, are those local procurement agencies who do, you know, a lot of times you have, well, you're always looking at this workforce issue and you're looking at the, the threat of retirement from people who have been there and are very experienced procurement professionals. And then you have people coming in who might not have the experience or don't have an in-depth knowledge of these different models of procuring work and aren't familiar with QBS. And, you know, in, in your experience in doing the research, one of the things that, that I, I, I found interesting was, was how important it is. And, of course, speaking to our member organizations, too, is that it's not really much, so much the state governments as it is municipal or, or, or county governments where they, have, um, they run into issues. Um, you know, what, what, what have you found in, in your work on this and, in, 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 I guess, in how those procurement agencies at the local level are kind of, kind of what the staff turnover looks like. Yeah, well, Jeff, there's a couple of issues here that, that we need to keep in mind. The fir- first is that our country has made a commitment to 
having our government be more businesslike, uh, yeah. bringing in market sector principles uh, into the operation of government. And, and that's, that's been across the spectrum. This is not a place where red-blue have divides. This is a place where we've been uniform in this over the last 30 years. And so, so that push uh, has led to uh, lots of innovations, but also it's led to uh, getting our governments very skinny. Uh, and so, so we, we really have, uh, I, I know this runs counter to the popular American ethos on government, but we really have slimmed down and particularly at those, at those local governments, sometimes they're razor thin. We've also had, as you just alluded to, the, the prospects of a silver tsunami where the, our public sector workforce has aged. And so now that we're, many of them are retiring out, uh, you know, there's, there's been this absolute generational shift. And, and that, that means that there's some, some uh, real challenges in getting people up to speed very quickly uh, for, for really complex procurement decisions uh, that, are, that are challenging to make, even amongst people that are highly experienced, they're highly challenging. Yeah. And so, so, but now we're asking people that with not quite as much experience to, to jump into that world and be entirely comfortable. Paul, what's your perspective on that? Yeah, I think I would add to that. I think, and I think it's important that we recognize these local officials that are doing this are under a lot of strain. A lot of times you have the same person who's doing procurement is also responsible for five other things that have nothing to do with procurement. And when that happens, you're asking somebody to make some complex decisions with things they may not know a whole lot about. And from that perspective, that's where we get a lot of this misperception of people, people putting forth negative images about QBS, right? Telling these people, you know, you have these other three things to worry about. If you undertake QBS, this is going to take extra time and you don't have yeah. this time, adopt this. And the fact is research, not only our research, but other research that we cite in the report has shown that this is just untrue over the, over the uh, impact. QBS does not take... Uh, does not end up making the process harder. I always kind of relate it to if you're something very simple, like if you're going to the grocery store, yes, it takes some, a little bit of extra time to make a list before you go, but it's going to end up with a much better result when you get there and you're going to make sure you don't miss anything. Same thing exists when you're talking about this type of procurement. A little extra time up front is going to save you a lot of money over the course of the project. And so we have mm -hmm. to push back against this misperception. And the reality is you're actually helping these people who this is not yeah. their full-time job. You're giving them more information that they need to make good decisions. It is that fight against commoditization. It's the idea of saying, well, listen, you know, on one end, to your point, Paul, you know, someone could go and say, hey, listen, engineering, sir, it's a product just just, you know, don't 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 complicate it. And in truth, it's not a product. It's a process. It's a it, you you know, it's that trusted advisor role that engineers play. And, 
if you have an engineering firm that has a, um, a base of experience in doing similar projects, uh, they have done, you know, iterations over something that, that, that could be uh, uh, part of a, uh, a bid for work. They may have their own efficiencies or innovations that allow that project to be done faster. And that kind of ties into two other areas. Really, it's a question of, of, of reducing uh, complexity and simplifying complex projects. And then the question of innovation, really, and, and, and the fact that there is a, there is a strong link between uh, level of complexity with the projects and, and, of course, project outcomes. And QBS as a chosen procurement method um, that does have a positive impact on reducing overall project complexity based off of the success and the experience of the teams. Um, what, what have you found in the research when you're producing this report related to reducing complexity of, 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 of projects and how it benefits the overall result? Uh, Gordon, let's start with you and then, and then go to Paul. So, so the, the, the question of complexity is, is, uh, got a, a couple of components for it, particularly from the perspective of a public procurement uh, officer, and and one of them is 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 trying to get um, a good understanding of the nature of the problem and that you're trying to wrestle with, because because you know what the engineering community brings to the table is not just the ability to handle the complexity, but also to fit it to the needs of the local community that's that's wrestling with this decision. You know, this is the problem with widgetization of these of, of, of engineering design is that you can do that. But when you do it, you're you lose some of this ability to fit and you lose some of this ability to bring expertise in uh, for a complex project uh, to innovate and to try something that is uh, that is sound in from an engineering perspective, but also matches the needs of what the client has uh, in, at that local site. Yeah. Yeah. Paul? Yeah. I, when we talk about complexity and we, we say it in the report, QBS helps all projects, but the more complex your project, the more QBS is beneficial. And when we talk about complexity, there's different types of complexity. It can be just a technical design complexity. It can be working with the community. Right. So if you've got projects that are in urban areas, you're dealing with everything from the business community to the political community to users. You have uh, social equity issues related to projects. Complexity comes from lots of different uh, aspects. And when we talk about it benefiting projects with complexity, we're talking about bringing teams together that, as Gordon was saying, meet the needs of this particular project. Teams that have experience working with the community, teams that have experience working with local governments, or straight out teams that have experience working with complex technical issues. And so what the research showed was in projects that use QBS, that the satisfaction among owners, among the teams, greatly increases the more types of complexity that are brought in because the teams are brought together because they have knowledge of how to handle this. And it makes a much smoother and actually faster project 
when your teams are prepared to handle these types of issues that come up in the project. Yeah, I you know we recently had our Engineering Excellence Awards, and uh, as part of the awards program, of course, we have a red carpet and we invite everybody to come by and and talk about their projects. And what struck me was uh, the number of projects and that involved not only the engineers but the project owner who were there at the awards talking about the community impact. And it, it, the conversation wasn't just so much on the engineering services provided and, and the end result, which of course the end result is significantly important, but it was the process to get there and the amount of work that was done uh, in the front end to ensure that stakeholders were consulted, that communities were brought on board that you dealt with, like you like you both mentioned, the complexity not only in the design, but how it fits in the community. What is the impact that the project's going to have with the community after it's done? And and really that that soft portion of the engineering process, which is the actual, you know, stakeholder engagement, was critically important to the success of, of the end of the end result, which is something that you don't get if you try to widgetize the engineering services. You just try to treat it as another part of the process. You're not going to get that other advisory service that is critical for project success. Um, let's 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 also look at the innovation side of things because this is something else which which I think is you know might not readily be be thought of. But when you're looking at levels of innovation that occur through QBS because you're bringing on qualified professionals to talk about uh, to work with a, a community or 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 an organization to fix a challenging problem. You know, if you have a creative team of people with experience and qualifications behind them, they might be able to lead to, to a more innovative solution. So so in your research, what did you find about the tie between QBS and and, and innovation? Paul? Yeah, I'll start and then Gordon can pick, pick that up. Yeah, um, we found very clearly that when in QBS projects, because you were bringing a team together that was experienced in this type of project, they brought significantly more innovation more often than if you uh, just went out to sort of bid type situation. Mm -hmm. And in fact, in many cases, we found the team brought innovations and ideas to the project before they even officially got started. And <clears throat> so that led to whether the project eventually used those innovations or not, the conversation was there from the very beginning mm -hmm. about options that could be considered. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and build, building off of that, Jeff, you know, once once a community, I'm, I'm thinking about this again from that local perspective, once a community ha has identified a particular area of need, uh, you know, there, it is very hard for that community then to project forward what are all the, the specifications and components uh, that could be brought together. Uh, one of the things I, I, I would, would suggest that comes out of our research is that the QBS process is a much more transparent process mm -hmm. about the types of expertise that you're going to have at the table, uh, and also the 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 needs of the contract that are set forth in the contracting process gets that team of people engaged with 
what are some of the possibilities? And so, mm-hmm. so whether your problem is a sustainability problem, whether your problem is uh, an inclusion and an equity issue, whether it's a, a service issue that's, that's trying to uh, reach out to disparate communities, all of these things are the typical type of thing that a, a local government has to wrestle with and can be concerned about. And, and that, that is a, a, a high demand uh, uh, issue. But high demand does not always have to be matched by high cost. It's in that innovation that where you get these teams coming up with ideas that are that that can fit the needs of the community. That's where you identify efficiencies. That's where you identify ways to to balance costs or or, or reevaluate needs based off of budget, um, and it gives you that added flexibility without without question. Um, I really do think that it's important for you know our member organizations, of course, at the states, uh, our 52 state and metro uh, member organizations, you know, use this report because it helps educate, of course, the state and local agencies about the importance of QBS. I mean, as we know from the Brooks Act, if you're dealing with federal money, if it's a federal transit money or federal highways money, then QBS by statute uh, should be followed, but it's not 100% throughout the states. That's I kind of want to kind of close off the conversation there on the state of QBS around the country. Uh, you know, aside from the federal government and federal money used uh, for for infrastructure projects, I mean, what is the lay of the land right now among the states? And to your knowledge, you know, if you can drill down even more on on how many are are act- actively using QBS. Well, there's there's a couple of things that this varies from one policy domain to another. So, yes. so we see pretty pretty high coverage using QBS in the transportation sector, uh, where there's there's and where there's you know strong and long lasting uh, collaborations between the federal government and state governments. But but when you get into other policy domains, they don't they don't necessarily have the same types of coverage. Um, the other thing you're seeing is that state governments have been highly innovative in their their contracting processes. And that that creates a very confusing environment for folks to know, well, am I doing QBS or am I not doing QBS? And so that's a that's a very difficult landscape for people to know when they're actually engaged in the in the process. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a good way of saying it, Gordon, cuz in Jeff and if you look at it just on paper, right? Almost all states mm-hmm have on the books essentially a mini Brooks type yeah. requirement. The issue though is that very few states, when you ask them who's in charge of enforcing this, that someone can actually point and say, if we don't do this, here's what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And so it's a gap between what's on the books and what's actually enforced. Now, in some states, it was very interesting as we were doing our case studies, and I would ask them, well, what happens if somebody doesn't use QBS? And I'd get a response of, well, somebody wouldn't even think about not using it, right? That's one extreme. But then you have the other extreme where you ask the same question, and the person will say, I don't know, there is no, we, we have no idea who would even enforce that. So yeah. there's a wide range, which is the challenge out there. That's the next step of really putting QBS into action across the board again mm-hmm. is we've got to not only educate people of what the advantages are, 
we've got to make sure that it's enforced and we've got to push back against some of this misinformation that mm -hmm. it's going to cost you more money. Because in reality, in the long run, you're going to have better projects. And yeah. we just need to go back to this is the fundamental. It's the law and it's the law because you end up with better projects. And that's really the bottom line. And that, that really is the importance of this piece of research. I think that this is another um, addition to um, the library of, of research that underscores the importance of QBS and why it's so necessary for uh, state and localities to use it. Uh, because at the end result is, I mean, you're dealing, especially in, private, in public sector, you're dealing with scarce taxpayer money. And all the things that you listed out, you know, between the... Uh, uh, driving down costs, improving uh, delivery timetables. The transparency is also key because people want to know what they're paying for. Um, all come together to make UBS the most attractive option. Um, so I, I really do, you know, recommend recommend that everyone go up to the resource portal because not only is the study there, but as you said, you have case studies that are that are part and parcel with this report that do show in each segment. That we discussed, you know, actual proof uh, of 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 delivery of of thing of projects that did save my uh, money, did save time, did drive innovation, and use that with your local procurement people and uh, your end clients and, and educate them. Um, it, it's they're all there for you. We have a even have a uh, an infographic. We've got some uh, uh, supplemental materials that'll help you make that that case. Because Paul, I do think that you're absolutely right. It's that next step of of, of getting everyone on board and understanding how to, how to best implement QBS if they're not already doing so. Um, anything else that we're kind of missing here? I mean, Gordon, I mean, it, 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 we, we covered a lot of ground, but is there anything else that you want to make sure our audience knows? Uh, Jeff, we, we have covered it uh, for the most part. I, I would say that, um, that uh, when Paul and I approached this research, we did this with a lot of sympathy for both the uh, our, our, our the engineering design community, but also the the folks that are in the procurement community, mm -hmm. uh, because this is this is a this is a really tough challenge, and it's a confusing time uh, when it comes to thinking through uh, how should we go about pursuing these large complex projects uh, uh, on behalf of the citizens of, of our of our communities, and so so this is a this is an issue that uh, people get. Uh, Interestingly, very intense about, uh, but uh, all sides are trying to pursue uh, some some end good, and uh, I think a little education on this part could could help uh, 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 soothe some of those waters uh, or calm yeah. some of those waters on yes. this issue. And Paul, any final thoughts? Yeah, I guess the the one thing I I would say I think Gordon put it well, you know that if if somebody's trying to tell you to do a different type of procurement and it sounds really, really good, we always need to remember if it if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is not true. And mm -hmm. I think that's a real fundamental with this is th there's QBS has been proven over time to produce the results that people need, whether it's at a federal, state, or local level. Mm -hmm. And we need to just keep doing that because this is what creates good projects. Yeah. And 
if with a little with a little research with a little understanding you're going to find the benefit well put both of you uh gordon kingsley paul chanowski thank you for coming on the show today and again uh you can go right to actually the acec research institute.org and find the study and a link to the resource portal and do uh, uh, really recommend that you uh, you check that out. But uh, a really good conversation on QBS. I know there's a lot more to talk about. Hopefully, as uh, as as we work on on getting this information out there and start hearing back from our member organizations on the reception that is getting that they're they're hearing with with procurement people, we can have you back on and talk about some of the issues that are raised. But these are uh, uh, it's it's been a great conversation. And I really thank you both for joining us. Well, thank Thanks, you, Jeff. And uh, again, this has been Engineering Influence, a podcast from the American Council of Engineering Companies. We will see you next time. Mm